Hey, it's so good to be with you. My name is Tim Jacobs. I'm what they call District Superintendent of EFCA West, the Evangelical Free Church of America, of which your church is a part. I live just down the hill on the west side of Phoenix. I absolutely love the opportunity to come here whenever Scott invites me. I always say yes. And I'm, I'm very privileged to be here with my lovely wife, Judy, who's sitting right over there. Um, yes, you somebody's got to endure this guy. So yeah, give her a huge round of applause for that now. Um, but no, she's, uh, we, we absolutely just love being here. Took a nice trip up um, this morning. Did not read the email from Scott again that there's only one service. So I was here pulling the parking lot at like 830. And we're like, no, that's okay. Because I'm sure some of you guys did the same thing. So, and also I love Scott. I love Pastor Scott because, you know, he has, He's got his shoe game on, right? <laughs> if you know him. And he, so I came and filled in for, for him last year because he was feeling under the weather. And so as a thank you to me, which he did not have to do, he bought me a pair of Jordans. And I had never had Jordans in my life. And when they came, my kids, they didn't know, like, what, what is this box? It's, you know, Nike box came in. There. I don't know what it was for either. It kind of surprised me. And when my kids found out that these Jordans were for me, they were appalled. They were like, Dad, do you understand? You are not worthy of these shoes. <laughs> like, who would buy these for you? They were like mad. Like, this is not fair. What, what about us, you know? But these shoes have been the great equalizer. Wherever I go, wherever I travel, older people, younger people, doesn't matter race, politics, ethnicity, creed, wherever, geography, everybody loves these shoes. And it's like made me better around people. So, I, so Scott... Thank you, man. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. It's just, you got an, you, but you've got an amazing pastor. You really do, because I, I see all, we have about 200 congregations, and I work with, you know, we work with a lot of churches, some good situations, some not so good. You're so fortunate. You really are, that you have a, a so I just want to give a huge shout out to Pastor Scott. Yeah. Now, it is New Year's Eve. You're probably looking at the, the, the uh, title of today's sermon. And you're going, what did this guy do? He's like rehashed a Christmas sermon. Christmas is over. So you look at joy to the world. Like, why are we doing joy to the world when Christmas is long gone? It's New Year's Eve. And it's a legitimate question because I'm like you. When Christmas is over, like, I love it. But like on the 26th, it's like that weird no man's land. And then you get to New Year's Eve. New Year's Day? My Christmas decorations are gone, man. It's like, see you later. We move on. We take everything down, put it in the box. Like, we're ready to move on. I mean, love it, but it's time to go. So if you're wondering, like, why are we doing a Christmas sermon post-Christmas? It's a good question, but here's the deal. The song, Joy to the World, was never intended to be a Christmas song. In fact, just as today marks the end of an era, and tomorrow is the beginning of a new one. So the song, Joy to the World, is actually about the end of one era and the beginning of another one. So actually, it's really fitting that we would be talking about this quote-unquote Christmas song today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 98. And as you're turning there, 
The song Joy to the World was actually written by a guy named Isaac Watts back in 1719. And it's his interpretation of Psalm 98. And it was part of a larger book that he wrote that was called the Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Not exactly a catchy title, right? But back in 719, they didn't, 1719, they didn't care about that. They just really long book titles. But did you know that that book that Isaac, wrote, uh, Isaac Watts wrote back 300 years ago, you can still buy it today. In fact, look, it's still on Amazon. You can buy this off, and it's got five stars. Two ratings, but still. Um, <laughs> it's like his great, 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 great grandson. I just noticed that just now. But anyway, but you can still buy this now. Now, that's impressive, because how many books do you know have lasted 300 years, right? Like, do you think the Harry Potter series will still be read 300 years from now? Yeah. <laughs> like, kids are like, Yeah! We have kids in the service like, how dare you even question that thought, right? But I mean, it's true that this is endured, or even the song, Joy to the World. It's still being sung after all these. Do you think in the year 2323 that people will still be singing, you know, last Christmas I gave you my heart, but the very next day you gave it away? I mean, 300 years, if, if, if people do sing it 300 years from now, it will just indicate that human society has not progressed very far, if you ask me. But in any case, these are in, this is an enduring song with an enduring work alongside of it. But as I said, Joy to the World was not written to be a Christmas carol. There's nothing Christmassy in it. There's no mention of the three wise men or, you know, uh, frankincense or peppermint mochas or whatever. The song is actually not about the first coming of Christ, but about the second coming of Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because this song is a song of triumph. It's a song of victory and culmination. And that's why I think it's so fitting that we talk about it today because it's the end of one era and the beginning of another. And if there was ever a time in your life for you to pause and evaluate where you've been and think about where you're going, just like this series, you know, five years from now, great series to kick off the new year. Brilliant idea. But if there was ever a day to think about where you've been and where you're going and talk about this whole thing when it comes to where history is headed, today would be the day. And so if we look at this, look at the first stanza of this of the song. We all know it, but look what it says. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. So while, you know, Christmas carols that we got used to singing over the past month or so always have this emphasis of the vulnerability of Jesus, you know, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, and all that kind of stuff, and here's this helpless baby, this is not talking about that. This is saying, hey, world, rejoice and make room, prepare for the arrival of the king. Make room in your heart. Get ready for this reality that is going to happen. And so heaven and nature sing, but prepare because there's going to be an end of one era, the end of one season of history, and the beginning of another. And so 
we better reckon with it, all of us. And so I want to ask this question today in our brief time that we have together. What if you could ask yourself this question? What if my joy was rooted, like founded, based upon the expectation, not just the fantasy or the thought or the maybe, but the expectation that Jesus will return as our king. And when he does, he makes all things right on earth just as they are in heaven. What if my greatest happiness in life, the thing that I'm banking on the most, so when when I look at the sum total of everything in my life and all the possessions that I have and all the situations I might find myself in, where I know we are headed, where I know I am headed, is the certainty of the reality that someday Jesus is going to return as a king and set everything right. Beyond what I can just even see, see right now and bring justice to the world. What if I saw the world I'm living in now as really the land in between? The land in between the first coming of Jesus, which we just celebrated, and the second coming, which is yet to come. And so when I look at creation and all life of life in general, I can see a desperate cry for redemption that will someday be answered. It will be answered. And so, you may be brand new to Cornerstone. You may be brand new to Christianity. And so it might seem like a weird question, right? Like, really? I should, you're trying to tell me I should base my entire joy in life on the expectation that Jesus will return as king. But if you think about it, every person, no matter who you are, even if you, you walked in here and you have no religious background or maybe a faint religious background or you're just kind of checking things out, even you have something in your heart that desires that there's a better reality than there is right now, right? Isn't that what humanity does? Humanity usually destroys itself in the process of trying to get to a better reality. We've seen history show that over and over again. But there's something inside you that longs for things to be made right, no matter who you are. And so the difference is those of us who are Christians have a road map for that. We have a reason to not just have a desire, but actually have a hope that is based on something tangible and real. So if we look at Psalm 98, we can see where this song, Joy to the World, originated from and where Isaac Watts got this idea. So look at this. It's, he says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Now the first thing you notice, you notice all the exclamation points? If you're an English teacher in here, you know, that usually drives English teachers nuts or like grammar people because you like overuse the exclamation. You're not supposed to overuse exclamation points because it kind of dumbs down down the purpose of them, right? It's like if you just keep using them all over the place. But the, but the translators of the Bible looked at the Hebrew and they're like, we have no choice. We just got to load up a bunch of exclamation points because the power of this language is like, make a joyful noise, sing loud, and not just sing, but like bring in instruments, the lyre and the trumpet and the horn and whatever you got. Make it happen. That's really awesome because you know a lot of times you know, people come to church, and maybe you grew up in a church like this where, you know, like somebody would walk in and say, 
They have the scripture reading and they go, <clears throat> make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Amen. <laughs> and they just walk away and everyone's like, oh man. You know, it's like, what did you just read? Right? And so it's important because, you know, joyful singing was not only hardwired into Jewish culture. It's hardwired into Jewish culture. Like, this is what they did. You go in the temple, you sing. You're excited. You're fired up. There's something in your heart. Because songs capture what words can't. Right? It's like the first time when you fell in love. You didn't just go, I think I feel something kind of funny. You're like singing like, oh, you know, and you got your favorite song, you know, where whoever it was that you listened to that made you think about all these wonderful feelings. Because there's something that songs capture that words can't about rejoicing. And by the way, just as it's hardwired into Jewish culture, it's actually also hardwired into our culture as well, Christian culture. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So when you think about 2024, one of the reasons you need to make a commitment, I think, to, be, to do everything you can to be here. It's not just because, well, I'm a religious person. It's because part of the rhythm of our lives is to gather together to sing about what brings us joy, right? About what fires up our heart, about what gives us a reason to endure the health challenges, the relational challenge, the job challenges, the kid challenges, whatever it is. Because we know that our joy is rooted in something. And you know, when it says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's so great. Because so many times people fight over, well, I don't like this. Well, we should do hymns only. and Or hymns are too old. Let's do this song. It's like it says all of them. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Just sing something that talks about Jesus the right way and fires you up, right? I mean, why do we fight over all this stuff? But the whole point is to rejoice. And we continue to rejoice and orient ourselves towards the king. So here's the question I want to ask them. Why should I have joy in Jesus' return? What is it about the return of Jesus that should bring me so much joy? Well, the first thing we can see from our psalm and what this song talks about, the joy to the world song, is this. Creation will finally be set free from corruption. That's the first point. And so you, if you got a little sheet when you came in, you'll see that there. You got the first blank there. Now, this is important. Um, not only are we instructed to make a joyful noise with loud singing, but the rest of creation is supposed to join in. Look what it says here. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. That's what it says. So not just people, but creation is to join in the rejoicing of what God is going to do. And look in our song, Joy to the Earth. This is like the second verse, I think, of Joy to the World. The Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Again, we're not talking about babies and mangers here. We're talking about like the return of the king that where nature rejoices. And the reason is because all of creation will be redeemed, not just um, people. 
So this is a theme which is all over Scripture, by the way, not just in Psalm 98. So when Isaac Watts writes this, writes this song, he's thinking not just about the psalm, he's basing it, but he's looking at, remember, interpreted through the lens of the New Testament. And the New Testament talks about this as well. And this is really important because I think we think, okay, well, I'm going to go to heaven someday and Jesus is going to come, but we don't think about the holistic way in which God redeems everything. So for example, Romans chapter 8, and there's uh, about six verses Verses 19 to, or five verses, um, 19 to 24, something like that, where six times the word creation is used by Paul. Look at what he says. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the children of God. And, oh, not only that, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the whole creation has been groaning. The whole creation, like, and you know what? So I told you we drove in a little early today, you know, because we didn't get the service time right. Like, hello, I'm supposed to be the speaker, and I didn't get the service time right. And so, but, so we had a little time. So we just drove around, because it's been a while since I've been here, you know. And, and so we drove around, and you guys have such a beautiful area you live in. It's so beautiful. I mean, the sun was rising, and we like went over by the lakes, and we went up this way, and it's just, it's such a great town. And yet, even with all the beauty, there's, there's a frustration. There's a, things die. Things fall apart. Things break down. And, and it's like the world is crying out. Like it's, it's kind of what it's supposed to be, but it's not at the same time. And so what we have to realize is that Jesus doesn't just own us as Christians. He owns the whole world and everything that's in it. In fact, the word creation in the original language means the sum total of all that's been made. And so when we talk about the church, this is why I love the fact that you don't need to meet in a church building. You can meet in a performing arts center because the church is not the building, it's the people. But the presence of God even goes beyond the church. It's everywhere. The, God, the presence of God is everywhere because everything belongs to Him. Now again, this is, this is important because, so the, a few years ago, I was running down, because we live in the you know, Phoenix area, or down in you know, western, near Buckeye. And uh, and I was running on along this on one trail out in the kind of foothills there. And it was early in the morning, and I was by myself, and I kind of came over this one little area, and then, and then it was just this kind of little valley. And all I could see, as far as I could see, were the saguaro cactuses. You know the saguaro. They're the ones like this, right, with the arms, right? And there was like thousands of them. And they... It was the weirdest, I don't know if it's because I was kind of delirious or what, but I was running through and I was almost like, I looked at them and it's like they were praising God. They all had their arms up. Like this, no, it, I'm serious. I was like, whoa. And I looked, and I looked at the creation and like the creation was like praising God. It was a beautiful moment. And, and, and I know like they don't make any noise, but I wonder if they could, if they would sing. Like maybe in heaven they'll sing because like all of creation rejoices. But it's like, were they praising God or were they also asking God, begging God for the redemption? 
Because even saguaro cactuses, you know, they still die. They still, they still fall apart. They still break down. But you know what's interesting about them is they don't even grow their arms until they're like 50 or 100 years old. So they, they start out straight and then they pop out these little arms and they get older. So when you see one with a lot of arms, like that one's really old. But it's almost like as they get older, they're, 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 they take a posture of praise. And I think I just, again, we don't think about these kinds of things because we just kind of go, ah, you know, it's just nature. No, no, nature is longing to be redeemed. And it was almost like I was, it's like as I was running, I kind of sensed this thing like, like the, 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 the cactuses were going, hey, Tim, we're praising God. What's your excuse? We, we were made to praise God. We were made to reveal the glory of God. And you were too. But like us, they're in the land between. The already and the not yet. The, it's so good sometimes and yet it's so broken at the same time. God, will you come and rescue us? And it's even further expressed in, in the song when he says this the, in, in the, uh, the other verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Now what is that based on? That's based on Genesis chapter 3 verse 17, where we know that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what happened? They kind of broke the world, right? They broke everything. And so what was the result of that? Well, look what it says. God says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So that's the deal, right? God made Adam, said you get to have dominion over the earth. You get to be a co-creator along with me. You get to take the raw material of creation and fashion it into really cool stuff and make something amazing out of this earth. You and Eve, and they sin. And now God says you can still do that, but here's what's going to happen. That there's this curse now that's, that's, that's all over the earth. And so now the very ground that you were designed to have dominion over is going to have dominion over you and it's going to suck you back into the ground because you were made from dust and you're going back to dust and that's the way it is and it characterizes the struggle of our lives or it characterizes our experience this is the world in which we live now there's no more true reality for us than this it's the tragedy of life there's beautiful things about it but there's great tragedy as well and so thorns and thistles, you build stuff and it falls apart. You plant things and they don't work out the way. You have the, the best laid plans of mice and men, right? And they just, stuff falls apart and we go, oh, and it's so hard and it's so tragic. By the sweat of our brows we survive, but everything eventually turns to dust. And yet in our hearts we long to be redeemed. And so social media, you know, like it was funny in the video, they were talking about you spend two and a half years or whatever on social media, which is like, for some people, that's a little short. Um, but but in social media, by and large, it's kind of a cesspool, right? I mean, there's a lot of junk on there. But there's actually some cool stuff on there, too. So on, you know, what was formerly Twitter, but now is X. Um, I, I was on there recently, and I, I've been, like, liking some of these um, 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 photos. And then they put more of them in your profile, in your feed. So rather than a bunch of, like, angry people who, you know, are sick of America or whatever, um, that are always making you angry when you look at social media, it's populating with these really amazing pictures. And so here's one of them. And again, I just found some random pictures, but like what I, what I here's what I'm saying. Like these are 
photos that you can just find that are free, that are paintings, that, you know, they're, they're all paintings that this guy loads up and just drops in. And they're, these, they're pictures of a better world. They're pictures of a world without corruption. They're pictures of a place that doesn't exist, but it exists in here. And so my heart cries out for something, right? Here's another one. Like there's a beauty. And so human beings have the capacity to, to imagine a better world. And some have been given the talent to take what's in here and, and manifest it onto, um, you know, canvas, right? And, or whatever they do. And so, so I look at some of these pictures and I, and I see the evidentiary, evidentiary, maybe not this, none of these people are Christians, but they can imagine a better world. They can imagine a place that they want to be. They can imagine, like, maybe this is a real place, but then they, they took all the corruption out of it and they made these beautiful colors, why do people do this? If this world is all there is, if this is all we can expect and hope for, why are we given the capacity to conceive of something better if there, if our, if there isn't something better waiting for us, if we weren't made for something better? And so no more let sins and sorrows grow. We know there's something wrong with the world and we long for a better place. And the question is, Will there actually be one? Will it actually happen? And the answer the Bible gives is a resounding yes. That the things you're dealing with right now, you won't deal with forever. The, the, the challenges and the torments and the fears and the pains, they're temporary because you're in the land in between. And we have to understand that otherwise our faith is kind of useless. This is not just about an ethical system so we can get along better in life and prosper. This is about rooting our entire soul in the plan of God to rescue us from ourselves and not just us, but all of creation. And he drips into certain people the ability to just put beauty out there that makes us wonder if we'll ever see anything quite like that. The end of one era and the beginning of another. But that can't happen. The redemption, here's the deal. The redemption of our bodies, the redemption of creation that is brought about by the second coming of Christ, that cannot happen without the second reason that we need to rejoice, and that is this. Righteous justice will finally prevail. Righteous justice will finally prevail. Now, this is very huge. Look what he says in verse 9, Psalm 98. The Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Equity is the idea of straightness, objectivity, levelness, and rightness. So the reason that we are not to judge people, Jesus says, don't, do not judge. I mean, we're to evaluate the actions of people. It's not like we can't make a judgment call. But to actually judge people in the place of God is because God's the only one who is capable of making right judgments. So that's why you, you, when, anytime you judge someone the way God is, you're taking his place. And that's a no-no. So you got to let God do that because he's the only one who can. But look what it says in, this, in the song, Joy to the World. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So the nations and the, 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 the good and the evil done on earth is going gonna, is gonna to prove the righteousness of God because someday he's going to come and he's going to judge the world. And this is the cry for justice. Now, nobody likes to talk about the judgment of God 
except when it relates to other people, right? Like, have you ever heard people talk about karma, right? I was on the plane recently, and I heard this young gal sitting in front of me. She was talking to this, these other people, and she's like, yeah, karma's going to get him, right? And it's like, here we go. And, and I, who knows, but you could be an atheist, you could be, but everybody loves talking about karma when it, when it relates to somebody else, because they're, they're going to get him, right? But the problem is, karma, that goes both ways, right? And if karma is true, we're all dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, if anyone here is thinking, well, I hope karma exists because that means I'm going to get some real good stuff later on. Uh-uh. Don't think that. Karma is the most brutal form of, of belief you can have in the world. Because, see, the God's judgment is a little different. Because here's the thing. When people talk about that, they go, oh, what, what a tolerant person you are. You just basically, you know, wish this person eternal judgment or whatever else to pay for their own sins. But we have a guy named Jesus who... who is our, um, who is the bearer of our sin. So with the judgment of God, if you are found in Christ, you don't get what you do deserve because Jesus already paid for it. You get to walk free. So the day of judgment is not one of fear for the Christian, but there's the reality of things being made right. So all of the stuff that's going on in the world right now that is, that, is, that is out of whack, where people are doing evil things, that's not just going to become forgotten or lost in the universe. All that stuff's being tallied up. It's all being tallied up. And there's a day coming. And so here's the thing. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and every tear is wiped away. But see, and we know that's wonderful, right? This wonderful thing where one day all the tears will be wiped away. But you know what happens before that? Right before Revelation chapter 21 is Revelation chapter 20. And it's a little bit lengthy what I'm going to read, but hey, we're in church, so we should, you know. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me go back. Where is it? Oh, it's not in there. So let me read this. <laughs> Hang on. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. I did not write that. It's there. Don't shoot the messenger. But I got to tell you something. If that's true, that every person's name who is not found in the book of life thrown into the lake of fire, if that's actually true, then it is incumbent upon you and me to make sure that everyone in our proximity, in the proximity of our lives, has their name in that book. Because God's justice is perfect. And I think why we get hung up on God's judgment and his justice is because we think it's not really fair. We think, we think that we're going to look at what God, like look at God's judgment someday and say, oh, come on, God, that was really mean. 
That was inappropriate. You went too far. As though we are the arbiters of that. You're not. And I'm not. What makes you and I think that we are better judges than God? Do you realize someday God will bring judgment upon the earth and nobody will be able to say, that's not fair. God, what were you thinking? No, no, no. Everyone is going to praise God for his wisdom and his justice. And if you are out there today and you're bitter against another human being for how they wronged you, and you're so mad that all of this is injustice has been done against you and it is just wrinkling up your soul, there are two options for that person that hurt you. Two. One is they repent, they find Jesus Christ, and Jesus pays for the sin they did against you with his spilled blood on the cross, which is a pretty big price. Or they will pay someday for that sin against you and against God, quite frankly. Both of those options are outside of your control, and both of them do not involve your own wisdom. So why are you trying to judge or punish other people when God could do a much better job of that? And will do a much better job of that. So what you need to do is you need to pray for your enemy, because as we're instructed to do, and hope that justice is found through Jesus. But if not, you can trust that justice will be done. Oh yeah, much better than you could ever do it. And see, but see, it's impossible for the world that we want to see someday to be brought about without justice. But we also know that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to God's mercy that we have been saved. So those of you who've been dealt with unfairly, you've been cheated on, you've been lied to, you've been swindled, you've been, you've been persecuted for whatever, know that a judgment is coming. But it's a big one. And so we need to be people who take these things soberly and seriously because there is another world coming, a world of justice. But it's far beyond what we can totally imagine right now. And yet it will be there. And when it comes, there will be joy to the world. So for those of us who are found in Christ, we're not found in Christ because we're wonderful people. We're found in Christ because God has rescued us from death and brought us from death to life. And so we rejoice in the fact that we will be redeemed, not just spiritually, but physically. We rejoice that creation will be redeemed. We rejoice that every tear will be wiped away and God will finally bring about his purposes. But for now, we are in the land in between. And so this next year, maybe more than ever, we take seriously where we are and we take seriously where God has placed us and we take seriously the proximity of the people around us and we do everything we can to try to show those around us the power of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God by how we live, by how we forgive, by how we love, by how we lay down all of our rights in terms of like, you know, trying to assert ourselves and all the, and just say, you know what? I want to show you the love of Jesus. It could be the hardest thing you ever do, but the best thing you ever do. Because there's joy coming to this world. There's joy coming to this world. Because the Lord is, is returning. So here's my challenge to you. Has your heart prepared room for the king? Well, I'm really busy this year. I got school. 
I got my home remodel, whatever. I got my family coming. I got this. I got my health issue. I get you busy. Has your heart prepared room for the king? Because no one expected his first coming. That took everybody by surprise, even though there's all kinds of prophecies. I have a feeling his second coming is going to be a little bit unexpected as well. All the people that think they know, oh, it's going to be on this date. No, no, no. They don't know what they're talking about. No one knows. So have you prepared? Will you live 2024 in expectation of the return of Christ? Let me pray. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, for some people in here, this needs to be an end of an era. December 31st needs to be the day that they say, this is the last day I live in my sin. This is the last day I walk alone on my own. This is the day that I surrender my life to Jesus, the King. So if that's you today, right where you are, would you just say, God, 2023, the last day is the first day of my new life. I'm turning myself over to you. I'm becoming one of your children. I would like you to be the one who takes my sin. I want my name in that book because without it, I don't have a prayer because I know who I am and I know what I've done and I know on my own I'm not impressive to you. And so I'm done with the games and I'm done with pretending that I'm this great person. I am in desperate need of redemption and forgiveness. And I live in a world that's passing away and I'm not going down with it. I want to live in your world and be under your rule. So I give you my life today, God. If that's you, tell them that. For the rest of us, the end of an era, it's coming soon. Maybe you've been a little bit preoccupied with all the things that can stress us out when really the only thing that matters is the, the arc of history where we're all headed. So God, I pray that you would lift up the broken heart, that you would encourage the one who is sad, the one who is lonely, the one who is depressed, the one who is distant, the one who feels like life is just getting darker and darker. No, there's a big light ahead. There's a big light ahead. And we didn't write the book. You wrote it. Help us to see it and to endure the land between. Thank you for your great love for us. Expressed through Jesus, there is joy to this world. For you have come, and you will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.